of the Board Game Geek podcast, where we geek out about board games, the mechanisms behind them, and the people who create them. I'm your host, Candace Harris, and I'm here today with Nick from the Brothers Murph. Hey, Nick, hey. how's it going? <laughs> Hello, Candace. This is my podcast voice, by the way. Hello, Candace. Um, Ooh, I like no. the podcast voice. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking the intro, this reminded me of you. You've always wanted to do board games like Stomp, right? Yes, yes. I, now that now that you work with BGG, we got to try and do that at some point. Yes. I love that idea. Yeah, that that intro with the uh, dice and sound effects. Yeah, the cards, that's reminded me of it. That's a little baby version of what, you know, what I want to do. But yeah, yeah. we got to do board game stomp. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how's it going today, Nick? <laughs> it's going all right. It's going all right. Yeah, I just had a, a busy weekend, but ultimately doing good, doing good. Cool. You know, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well too. I'm enjoying this like cloudy day we have I in know, LA. Like, it was raining this morning. Uh, I love it. It's like Seattle vibes, and you know we get so much sunshine all the time. So it's nice to have these know, we're cloudy spoiled. days. Yeah, it really makes a difference when you're like, oh my god, it's raining. People are like, yeah, is that weird? <laughs> like, yeah, it is weird. We live yeah. in LA. <laughs> it, it's magical. It's almost like a snow day. Yeah, for pretty other, much. Other yeah. parts of the country. But uh, yeah, it was great seeing you a couple of weeks ago at uh, John Claire's uh, game day. We finally got yeah, to play a game fun. together. <laughs> when it was our first game together, we see each other at cons and stuff all the time. And we're, we kind of like come over, give each other a hug. And then we're always yep. each in a game, though. Yep. <laughs> so we never yep. actually play anything. Yeah. So that was that was cool to actually play a game together. And, you know, hopefully we'll play more games together at the conventions or even, you know, we don't live that far away. No, we so. don't. Not that far. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, today we're going to be reviewing Terracotta Army. It's a Gen Con 2022 release from Board and Dice, which Nick and I have both played, but we've never played together. True. Before we go ahead and delve into our thoughts on Terracotta Army, I'd love to hear what you've been playing lately, Nick. So let's jump over to Fresh Plays. So, Nick, what have you been playing lately? Okay, so a game that I've been playing a lot lately, um, I've been playing the Search for Planet X a lot, uh, and I've been Ooh. playing it pretty much exclusively solo. So if you don't know anything about Search Planet X, uh, it's, uh, it's a logic deduction game um, designed by Matthew O'Malley and Ben Rossett. It's published by Foxtrot Games and Renegade Games. Uh, one to four players plays in about an hour or so. But this is like a logic deduction game where you are searching for Planet X. Have you ever played this game, Candace? I have. I've only played it once. I thought it was really, really interesting. Like, yeah, probably it's super one cool. Of the better uh, logic deduction games. I've yeah, played. it's great. And and we had heard about this game for a long time. We actually have had this game for like two years. We I can't remember how we ended up getting it. We didn't buy it. And I don't, maybe someone gave it to us. I'm not sure. We've had this game for a long time, and it's just been sitting on our shelves. It was like one of our biggest shelf of shame games. And um, <laughs> uh, in our Twitch chat, people can if, – if you watch Twitch a lot, you can gain something called channel points just by watching. And if someone turns in 50,000 channel points, which is a lot, they can essentially choose our next game that we stream. And so someone ah. turned in 50,000 channel points said, you all need to play Search Planet X. You're playing it next <laughs> time. So we were forced to finally learn this game and play it, and it's so good. Oh, my gosh. So this is a game – it's a logic deduction game, and you are searching for Planet X, the mysterious 10th planet, right? Although I guess ninth Ooh. planet because Pluto. Not a plan anymore. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Um, 
so you're searching for the next planet out there and you have this big circular uh, kind of board broken up into different um, – what are they called? Different sectors is what they sectors, are. Sectors, yep. And there's one through 12 or on the harder side, it's one through 18. I'll never play the harder side. I'm already bad at this game. <laughs> it's already hard enough. It's already so hard. <laughs> and basically you're looking for planet X. And so in the different sectors of the solar system here, you can um, – you can find different stuff. So there's like asteroids, there's comets, there's dwarf planets, there's like gas clouds. There's also just like open space where there's nothing. And all of these things have different rules. So like asteroids can never be alone. There always has to be at least two asteroids together. There's four in the game. So you know they're either going to be all four in a row or they're going to be two and two somewhere. That's the only way they can exist. Comets can only be in certain sectors. Gas clouds have to be next to, I think, uh, an open space, one where there's nothing in it. The dwarf planet can never be next to planet X. There's all these rules for it. And so you start basically searching these different sectors for things. And so you can search, like, I'm going to search sectors 7 through 10, and I'm going to look for asteroids. And it's all done by an app, and the app will tell you, hey, there's one asteroid in here. So you're kind of like, okay, so that means the asteroid has to be either 7 or or 10 because that means the 11 or 6 has to be an asteroid because they have to be together. So you start deducing (laughs) all this stuff, right? And it's just so fun. And then you have different things that you can um, get that will give you certain clues. Like they're like, hey, a gas cloud is – at least one of the gas clouds is directly opposite of a comet. So you know that. So you're like, okay. And you just start deducing everything down. And it is so much fun. It's become one of my favorite games. I play it all the time and I play it solo because the solo will run like a bot for you. And the bot is oh, actively cool. trying to learn it too. And um, and you can lose to the bot, which is cool. And it's so, so much fun. And I don't like logic deduction games because – and I'm not just trying to fish for compliments here. I'm not that smart. And so <laughs> – it's just I'm bad at logic deduction. I don't like to play with other people because I just lose horrendously, and it just makes me feel kind of dumb, to be completely I, honest. I feel similar. Like I'm, I, it's not a strength for me. Yeah, it's like I'm yeah. plenty smart in many other kinds of games, but like logic deduction, I'm just not good at. And so some people are like, "Oh, I found it," and I'm like, "I, I found like one comet, and right. that's it." You know, like <laughs> yeah. and so. So for me, playing this game solo, which works super well, is really fun because then I can just take my time. I don't really – I want to beat the bot, of course, but I don't really care. I just kind of want to like get into this little puzzle and just try and find Planet X. And it's so, so much fun. I absolutely, absolutely love it. Cool, cool. Yeah, I never got the chance to try it solo, but I definitely agree with you. Like I'm, I'm slow with those kind of games and mm-hmm. feel like – it's just not a strength, but I was really like fascinated by the design yeah. and the app integration. And also I, I like that kind of like pressure of trying to do it before your opponents, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's cool. It's rad. What about cool. you, Candace? What, what have you been playing? What have you been into right now? Cool. So so I recently played for the very first time a an older splatter game called Roads and Boats. You did? You were talking about it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I played Roads and Boats. It's designed by Yuren Joeman and Yoris Wersinga. I'm probably not saying their names exactly correctly. Um, and it was originally released back in 1999. Then they made this 20th anniversary version in 2019 which my friend Nate kindly sold me at some point and it's okay. this giant this giant box that's been sitting like on the the top of my shelf you know just kind of being art 
uh, even though the art is kind of silly and playful, which <laughs> it is very playful for what is ultimately, I think, a pretty heavy game. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. My friend Ben was over at some point and was like, "Hey, let you know, we're, we've been talking about trying to play Roads and Boats forever." So I'm like, "Let's play Roads and Boats." So this is a kind of a unique civilization building game where you're not. Hmm building cities and going to war with other people and kind of building a civilization in that respect. But it's all about logistics and, and transportation. So each player and this, and you can play with one to four players. So this is another game you can play solo, which I haven't okay. done yet, but I hear it's like really cool. Cause like you have all these different scenarios you kind of set up. Hmm. So the, the board itself is there's a variable map setup. You have these different tiles that have uh I can't think of the different landscapes, but maybe there's mountain tiles and there's like the typical, a, right? Yeah. The typical kind of tile. Some of them have rivers going through, which you have to, you know, the rules around that, but, mm -hmm. but players start with three donkeys, a pile of wooden boards, some stones and two geese. And from yep. there you have to use those minimal resources to then go, you know, move around very slowly with your donkeys and build other things. And this game has a million components. Not a million, but like a lot, a lot. There yeah, are all yeah. these different types of buildings you can create that'll that'll produce different resources if you pump other resources into them. But a key thing is you always have to have a transport that's with a certain thing. So if I have a woodcutter building, I need to have a transport there to feed the wood into it. And then during the production phase, it'll produce wood boards or whatever. And then you have that. And another crazy concept in the game is nothing belongs to you unless it is on one of your transports. And of course, again, you start with donkeys, but you, mm -hmm. can, you can build a wagon factory and then you'll have wagons that can move around the board faster. You can build roads and bridges. And when you're building roads, you're actually like I put plexiglass over the board, but like it comes with some kind of clear plastic where you actually draw the roads that you're building. But again, wow, okay. you need you need certain resources to build that. And then you're trying to build all these different buildings to like build up this production engine. But you don't want to leave stuff for like one of your neighbors to just go pick up and grab your resources. There's like a lot of logistics and planning involved. And then you at some point can you everybody starts on the map you have a little hometown so if you have resources at your hometown uh, at the end of the round you can start buying bricks towards building this like wonder right so you know okay. maybe i just had some extra resources i wasn't using to make a building this round so i'm going to try to use those to contribute to this wonder which is Think of it like multiple rows that has areas for bricks you can place. And then there's okay. a whole thing with the way these rows will score. Say, like, if if I'm the only person who had my bricks in a row, I'm going to get 10 points for that row when it scores. But if two players had bricks there, then it's like, oh, we get six points each or something like that. So you're constantly trying to level up and produce things that are going to allow your logistics to move faster. You can okay. build rafts to move resources from water points. Oh, also, a lot of the game has like simultaneous gameplay. Okay. But when I played, I played a three-player game. And it can be like a, a very chill kind of multiplayer solitaire experience. Uh -huh. 
but it also can be really mean because it's splatter, you know? Right. So at some point in the three player game, I'm my homeland is kind of positioned in the middle of the other two players. And one of the players started building roads towards my stuff. And I was like, what are you doing, bro? What are you doing? (laughs) And then at some point then I got revenge and I used his roads to go take, like he was collecting wood, but it was like too much that he knew what to do with. So I just marched on in there with one of my donkeys or wagon, picked it up, took it to use it to build something else. But it's, it's really fascinating to me because like when I was playing the game, I'm just like, wow, I'm terrible at this. It's, it's so challenging to kind of figure out like what is the best way to like use these resources Mm -hmm. to build what I should be building where I can efficiently move it to where I need to have it moved so I was just like felt like I'm doing terribly and it was like something wasn't really like clicking where I I didn't play it the first time and say oh I love this game I was just like this is interesting very Mm -hmm. fidgety by the way very fidgety lots of little wooden chips and tokens yeah so that's that's something you got to be aware of going into it but then the next couple of days, I could not stop thinking about it. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, I can't wait to I can't wait to play this again and just try to figure it out. I think I will try to set up a solo scenario at some point too. Okay. That's also a good way to kind of learn it, right? And just like try and learn yes. some of that that because it's just one big efficiency engine, right? Like you're just trying to make the most exactly. efficient thing possible. Yes, yes. And I I I need to also shout out. On BGG, there's this amazing player aid by Sterling Babcock. It looks crazy. Like if somebody puts this player in front of you, you're going to be like, like right, I don't right. know, you know, calculus hieroglyphics, you know, sure <laughs> it's don't. just kind of an insane player aid. But the minute you start learning the game and it's like, oh, this is what I need to build this thing. This right. is what this thing produces. There are a lot of different things. To me, it's like essential for playing the game. So yeah, that's roads and boats. Have you ever played no, it, Nick? It. No, I've 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 never had much interest in any splatter game. To be completely honest, uh, they all look not fun at all to me. Um, just because <laughs> they they just they're big, they're fidgety. I know a lot of times they're quite mean. The game itself is mean. Like I know with like food chain magnet, they're like cool. If you don't get a good start, you're just screwed. And it's just like it's one of, like it just they don't seem very fun to me personally. That's just a personal mm-hmm. opinion. But the roads and boats is the one. I don't know why I've always been like I'm curious about roads and boats. And Mike, my brother, <laughs> the other half of the brothers, Murph, for some reason really wants to play roads and boats. He's just always really wanted to. So you have a, a partner in him uh, that cool. he will play it with you because he he's always wanted to try this game. So never cool. played it. Would be interested in playing it. I don't. It doesn't sound that fun to me. It's. Well, I don't know because I do like efficiency engines in games. I've been playing this video game called Satisfactory lately. That's oh. like it's just that you're just like you just you find like ore deposits around and then like <laughs> you get like this ore deposit will bring out like you put a machine on it and then it extracts like sixty ore per minute and then so you get a smelter to make it into like ingots and that that smelter will make only 30 a minute though. So you have to have two smelters have peak efficiency and that it just gets all sorts. (laughs) And I really like that game. So maybe I would like this. And I do like my favorite thing in Feast for Odin is just like at the end of the game to have no tiles left over because that means you played a really efficient game because you use everything you got, right? Yep. Yep. So maybe I would like it. I don't know. We'll have to see. I think I will. So I I ended up ordering this really nice, fancy uh, 3D printed insert for it. Okay. Because I think that's like like one of the, yeah, everything is in baggies. (laughs) And I'm telling you, there are just a ton, tons of resources in this game. Yeah. 
But like, that's another thing that's cool because you can kind of like customize. Like, you and I don't have to build the same thing. Maybe right. we have like, like uh, Ben and I had a nice relationship where it's like, oh, I'll come use my uh, wagon factory and I'll use your raft factory and we'll be mm-hmm. we'll be cool about it. But yeah. one, one cool moment, I'll I'll just just to finish off roads and boats here is I I set up myself to build a wagon at my one opponent Ken's wagon factory. And then I was also at my raft factory with the resources I needed to build. And these two particular buildings only produce one thing per turn. So Mm. when production time came around, and also both of them were at the spaces with with resources. So then it came down to turn order to see who's going to be able to actually produce the thing. And mm. I was in the position, they have this like kind of like prayer track thing that when you're at the front of the prayer track, you can switch turn order and change turn okay. order. So I okay. waited and I became, I made myself first player at the top of the production phase. And then I was able to produce the raft and the wagon and they were just kind of sitting there. Wow. So that, that's kind of like the mean stuff, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it was, it did, it didn't come off as mean. It was more like, Oh, ha, 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 you know? Yeah. Right. And then it's, it's like, like, now I'm at the back of the turn order. So now, you know, I'm at the back of the, like the temple track or whatever it was called. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's just knows? like, it's a cool game. And I, I'm gonna put it on my list to teach you and Mike at some. Yeah, point. I'd love to. I'd love to play it. Mike really wants to play it. So cool. Yeah, cool, cool. That'll be our first splatter game. Well, actually, no, Mike. Play, Mike's played Food Chain Magnet, but it'll be my first splatter game. Oh, yeah, and I, I love the Great Zimbabwe. I got to teach you that one too. Yeah, you told you told me about yeah. that one. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> what else have you been playing, Nick? So uh, we've been playing this kind of over the span of many months now. Um, it's not a game that's technically out yet. But we've been playing uh, Wayfarers of the South Tigris, and we just replayed oh. it a couple times recently. Uh, so this is the n- first game in the next trilogy by like Shem Phillips, who made like Architects of the West Kingdom, Paladins of the West Kingdom, Viscounts of the West Kingdom, also Raiders of the North Sea. So he does these trilogies, right? Mm-hmm. And this is the first one. This is the South Tigris. Uh, series. Uh, so it's d- designed by uh, Shem Phillips and SJ McDonald. It's by Garfield Games. Uh, and it's one of four players. It's about 60 to 90 minutes, uh, depending on your player count. So uh, this game, I, I first of all, I'll say I really like basically all of Shem Phillips's games. I've never found one that I really didn't like. Um, I really, Same really here. like the West yeah. Kingdom trilogy a lot. Like I, I really yep. liked all three of them significantly. So I was very, very excited for this. And we were lucky enough to be able to cover this for Shem during the Kickstarter. So we got like an earlier oh, cool. copy of it. So we've been able to play it over the last couple uh, months and it's just, it's so much fun. We, I think it's probably my favorite of all of his games, which is really saying a lot. Oh. Um, but basically in this game, you are uh, in Baghdad and this game is all about essentially astronomy. Actually, I guess both my games were about astronomy. Now that I think about it, Search Planet <laughs> X is also about astronomy. But basically you are in a Baghdad. You're essentially trying to chart the skies, which is something they actually did, which is super, super cool. So essentially you have your um, player board. And your player board, you essentially gonna be putting cards on either side of it. All everything off to the left, the right side of it rather, is all gonna be water cards. And so you can get these water cards. They'll either be like open seas or they'll be harbors. And then to mm-hmm. the left side of your board is gonna be all land cards because you're gonna be charting the skies by land and by sea. And so that'll be either like cities or vistas. And then above those cards, you can put star cards. And that's again you just charting the stars. And s- those kinds of cards, uh, star cards are gonna have end game scoring on them. And so it's one of those games where it's like it's pretty tough in the beginning because there's like you get the main board 
and the main board will have also like this journal track, which is uh, whenever you do a journaling action, you'll move your disc of that journal track. It'll give you some bonuses, give you some more workers, and that's also what will time out the game. And then all around that main board, there's just tons of cards. There's a whole area for the land cards, cool. whole area for the water cards, whole area for the star cards. And there's also townsfolk like there is in every single Garfield game. <laughs> and those townsfolk will go beneath your cards and essentially boost them and give them uh, bonuses or extra stuff, basically. So there's all these cards out there. You're kind of sitting there like, what do I what do? I do? Like, what should I choose to do? And we're always just kind of like, I don't know, choose something and just do that because – there's all all the different strategies we've done have always been good. They've all there's not one like oh this is you should be doing this like don't yeah. do that one that one's not worth gotcha. it. And That's so cool. it's really really fun and it's just it's just we really really enjoy it. Um and yes yeah, so you're building out kind of your big tableaus here and the cards are different stuff. So like your workers in this actually yes there's two kinds of workers. Your main workers are dice. You'll be rolling out dice and then those are your workers and then certain spots will take certain kind of dice and then um so like your city cards and your harbor cards will have like dice placement spots which will then give you a whole bunch of different stuff could be other cards could be provisions and money and euro stuff you know um cool. and then um and then you uh your vista cards will essentially give you a bonus whenever you do a certain action and your open water cards will give you stuff whenever you rest um or actually they're your immediate things you get when you put them in. And it's just really, really cool. And you're essentially doing set collection. You're trying to collect all these kind of sets. And then it's just, it's kind of hard to describe because again, it's just one of those things where there's so many different things you can do, so many different avenues you can go down. Where like last time we played with our friend, he got like only water cards, just like mm. he had a billion of them <laughs> and basically nothing else. And he won. It was a close wow, game, but he ended up winning. So I was like, strategy. okay, so you can. You can do that just all water. And so it's just like, it's very, very fun though. I really, I think it's probably the hardest of the Garf of the, you know, West Kingdom, South Tigris, North Sea trilogy. I think it's the hardest one to get into because it's kind of the, it has the least clear path. Gotcha. I think from the get go. But I also think it has more, I guess, more like opportunities or more more avenues that you can go down essentially at the same time. It's really, really fun though. I really like it. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just a good time. I really, really enjoy it. That sounds really awesome. Yeah. So I've, I've only played, I played architects. I've played, uh, and paladins. I think those are mm -hmm. the only two I've never, I never got the chance to play or not yet anyway, uh, Raiders. Yeah. Um, but that sounds really neat. And I, yeah, I like, I like the theme. Yeah. The theme was great. And I'm like, I kind of want to just like look it up and see what it looks like after you described it. Cause it sounds it's cool. You know, it's got art by the Miko who always does um, all those games for him. So it's really, really cool looking. Yeah, it's just great. It's just it's another slam dunk by Shem Phillips. They just they absolutely crush. They're so prolific and they just like they just keep hitting over yep. and over and over and yep. over again. Is it is that a kick? Was that on Kickstarter? Did you yeah, yeah. He okay. always kickstarts his stuff. Okay. Although it's really his kickstarters though are literally just pre-order systems. Like it's yeah. literally he's just like no stretch goals, no pledge manager. This is just to get by the game. Yeah, <laughs> yep. like that's just all it is. <laughs> but he's so upfront about it. He's like, yeah. he's not trying to be like, we we really need this. He's like, no, this is just how you buy the game. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> until it until it eventually goes to Renegade Games and then they'll distribute it. But it's right. like if you want it slightly earlier, it's like this is where you get it. That's it. And I'm like, yep. I respect that. I respect yep. that. Don't try and no inflate frills. stuff. <laughs> He's like, nope. You'll put your shipping address. We'll send you the game and it'll be done. <laughs> I'm like, all right, cool, man. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Cool. I'm looking forward to checking that one out. Yeah, it's good. So what about you? The next game I'll tell you about that I've been playing for, it's probably been my 
go-to filler game for the past almost two months now. And it continues to be a banger. And it's a trick-taking game called Schadenfreude. Um, And it's by a Japanese designer that goes by CTR. Okay. And it's published by Studio Turbine. And Schadenfreude means, translates to basically experiencing pleasure from another person's misfortune. Mm -hmm. So in this- Someone fall down, you're like, ha, 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 ha. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So I always like to tell, like when I'm teaching the game, I always tell you, like the way the game ends is when any player goes over 40 points. And then the player who was- next highest that didn't bust essentially go over 40 points is the winner of the game so it already has a thing where you're trying to like push other people over the edge but you want to be the second best kind of closest yeah 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 yeah. okay so um so you have like four suits of cards and they range from negative three to nine but there's no zero card because there are also two wild cards a zero and a ten that are suitless. They don't have a suit and there's only one of each of them. But otherwise, you know, and de- depending on the player count, you might take some numbers out yeah, right. that you play with. But it is a must-follow trick-taking game, meaning if I lead with a green and you have a green, you all have to play green. Um, but the winner of the trick is basically the player who played the second highest value of the lead suit. So okay. usually in a trick-taking game, oh, whoever played the highest of the lead suit wins mm-hmm. or there's a trump card or whatever. But in this game, the winner is the person who played the second highest card of the lead suit. And okay. when you win, you win your card and then you also take every card that's off suit. So if it's you know okay. later in the game and uh, people don't have the right Who's card, they can off, play yeah. anything. Yeah, and when you win the cards, they go in front of you as just like face up in a tableau. And on future, you know, uh, tricks that are played, if you ever win a card that's the same number, like let's say I won a two, uh, yeah, a two card like a couple rounds ago, and now I win another two, it makes me discard both of those. So your points mm. that you're kind of gathering aren't permanent until mm-hmm. like the end of the round. Which you can kind of play into if you'd like to. Like yeah, if you're too or, close to 40, you're like, let's try and get rid of some of these kind of things. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Or or sometimes players want to screw you so that you can't get more points, you know. Or you could use Ooh. that to make sure you don't bust sort of thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So, so that whole dynamic of number one, just thinking about the second highest card of the lead suit wins. And then when... You know, so I strategically, I try to get rid of uh, a suit as soon as possible so that I have flexibility to play whatever I want, mm-hmm. you know, when people play yeah. certain cards. Um, but yeah, so you have this whole dynamic of you play a hand of cards and then after you play the whole entire hand of cards, then you score. So at that point, like you're you're getting points, you might be losing points by winning stuff that are duplicates, um, but then you score And at first, like when you play this game, you're like, oh, to get to 40 points, like that's going to be a million rounds. But no, that ramps Mm. up. And the minute you see like, Nick, if I see you're at like 25 and the rest of us are at like seven or eight, we're going to be trying to screw you. And like, yeah, Yeah. we're going to be trying to like set you up to go over. But then we're also competing to be the highest when that happens. 
sometimes what I try to do is push two people over like at the end of the same round Mm -hmm. and then try to set myself up. But it's just like it really just makes you think so much differently. And it's like, I don't know if you've ever played Stick'em before, but it like feels like like three-dimensional Stick'em or something. <laughs> okay, I have not, but that's great. Yeah, so this, this Schadenfreude, it was, it's like, I think I ended up getting a copy either from Amazon.jp because mm. it's a Japanese import. Um, and then there's also- Oh, so it's not here? No, it's hard to oh, find. Bummer. It's, yeah, it's hard to find, but there's a, a game store in Portland. I think it's called CloudCap that imports a lot of mm. trick-taking games. And I've also like ordered some crazy import uh, trick-taking games cool. from them as well. But this one, yeah, it's just been an absolute huh. blast to play, especially when it, when it clicks for people like, oh, I could do this, you know, make you take all these points or make you lose all those points. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love, I love any, I love mechanics and games where you want to have the most of something, but if you have too much, you lose. Yep. Like high society is that way where it's like you want the yeah. most points, but if you spent the most money, you're just automatically out or QEs that way. It's like, so you, you need to get the most points, but you can't have <laughs> spent the most money. I just love that. And I also love trick-taking games where like, have you played a uh, title blades banner festival? No, I haven't played any title blades yet. Okay. They're all great. I love okay. title blades, but banner Festival is like a trick-taking game. And, and it's one of those situations where it's like, you're, you play out a trick and then depending on where you are in the trick, you get to do a certain action. So if you lose the trick, you get to do a certain action. If you win the trick, you get to do a certain action. Or if you're in the middle, you get to do a different action. And so oh. depending on what you're trying to do, you're trying to get like your little influence disc out in these different like quadrants. Depending on what you need to happen, you can be playing all sorts of different stuff because you're like, well, I'm really trying to lose or I actually really want to come in the middle, but they're all good. So it's one of those, I always enjoy games like that where you're like, oh no, I'm trying to lose so this cool. trick because yeah. I want to push these cards onto Candace so that she loses all these points. Yes. Like, I, I just love having to think in that kind of dimension. I think it's really, really fun. That sounds like right up my alley. And yeah, yeah I, it's cool. I, it's really fun. Yep. I totally agree with you because uh, like shamans, I don't know if you played shamans, Mm-mm. but that's another, it's a uh, seek, a hidden roles trick taking game. Mm. It's really, really dope. But yeah, it's the same thing. It's like, you don't always just want to win the trick. Yeah. Like you want to do something else or play a card that maybe lets you do something a little different. Uh, wow. That, that sounds really cool. Okay. Yeah, I got it's. It's really fun. My list. <laughs> yeah, it's really really fun. It's it's a good and it's it's gorgeous because it's title blade. So it's really good. Cool, cool. Well, that was Schadenfreude, and yeah. I I think we should. I think it's time. I feel like I want to talk about Terracotta Army now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, it's time. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. So Terracotta Army. It is a 2022 release from Borden Dice, and it's designed by Pashemishlav Fornal and Adam Kwapinski. It's technically a one to four player game uh, because there's a solo mode that David Turty designed that like was not part of my game at all. Like, no, I, me neither. Yeah, yeah. It's on so BGG, I just, isn't it? Right, right. Yeah. So I just happened to kind of discover that on BGG. And I guess at some point when people buy it, it will have the solo rules in it. But needless to say, I have not played it solo. Because I just, yeah, I was gonna say I just discovered it like kind of when prepping for this episode. But in this game, the the premise is uh, China's first emperor, Emperor Qin Shi Huang has passed away. 
and we are talented craftsmen and artisans working to build a terracotta army of beautiful warrior statues in a mausoleum to protect him in the afterlife. It's basically a worker placement game where the goal is to have the most victory points after five rounds. And a lot of the gameplay, aside from the actual worker placement taking actions, is kind of centered around this building different statues into this mausoleum, which is a seven by nine grid. Each round, there's an action phase where you're going to place workers and gain resources and build statues. Then there's a scoring phase where you're going to be scoring dominance and presence uh, based on where these inspector tiles, which column and row they are pointed to within the mausoleum. And there are also these scoring tiles that are going to get scored each round. And then there's a cleanup phase where you do some maintenance and uh, your clay will dry because clay is one of the main resources in the game. And you cannot build statues with dry clay. So you have to kind of... So you have to kind of make sure, you know, your clay, re-wet your clay throughout mm-hmm. the game. For the action phase, your players are going to take turns placing a meeple. So you'll have a certain amount of meeples depending on player count. And you have this action wheel area that has action spaces for you to place a meeple. And the wheel itself has three layers and the inner layer and the middle layer rotate in opposite mm-hmm. directions, can be rotated yeah. and rotate after at the end of every round. So they're going to be kind of shifting to tell you which actions are available to take in a particular space. Yeah, and what's paired up with what. Exactly, exactly. Because when you take actions, you have the option to take all three actions starting from the inner ring, the middle mm-hmm. ring, to the outer ring. You can also, before you choose where you want to place your meeple, you can also pay two coins and rotate one of the wheels in its like respective direction. So one moves clockwise, one moves counterclockwise. But the actions you're taking are basically allowing you to gain resources. So there's one, you know, there are different spaces that let you get a certain amount of wet clay. There are certain spaces that let you get money or everybody has these four different types of action tokens And they start the game inactive. So like one of the actions is you can activate it and flip it over. So now Mm -hmm. you can use it for something. Then you can also, there's this one action that lets you uh, blow up your meeple and get upgrade your meeple to an artisan. Or I like to call them grandes. I always tell them grandes (laughs) from Viticulture. (laughs) Yeah. I always call them grandes and they get stuck. But you're, you're basically upgrading a craftsman to an artisan which gives you a little more flexibility on where you can place workers because if there's a little meeple, which is a craftsman on a space, you can also play an artisan on the same space. So it is like yeah. a grande. But there can never be – if an artisan's there, another artisan can't go there. So you have a little yeah. bit more blocking there too. Yes. You're also blocking with the uh, with the grande artisans. <laughs> the thick boy. Yeah. And then like one of the most important actions you'll be doing is uh, building warrior statues. So you have these like four different types of mm-hmm. uh, warrior statues that are like archers, yeah. spearmen, swordsmen, and officers, I think is what it is. Something like that. Something That's like that. A, that sounds right. They're different colors. And one of the neat things is the game has a box where you store these these warriors upside down, these miniatures. And to me, it's like kind of brilliant because, it's brilliant. yeah, like it's it's great for storage, but it also is really functional yes. for the game. 
Because when you go to build a statue, you're going to spend a certain amount of wet clay, depending on which action space you're on. Mm -hmm. And you're going to pick one of these four types of warriors. And depending on where you're pulling it from, you're going to get a certain amount of victory points. So the more of a certain type of warrior that gets built, the less uh, the victory points you'll get when you're building them. So it Mm -hmm. ranges from eight when there are none built Two, back to three, I think it goes yeah, down th- three to three. or two, something like that. Yeah, somewhere there. Yeah, so this is like a big source of how you get victory points in the game. You constantly want to be building these statues out in the mausoleum. I mean, it is the point of the game. It's that's, called Terracotta Army. Yeah, it is, it is. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so you can, that's another action. And like one of the things we were talking about, those uh, those weapon tokens, like when you're building a statue, if you have the matching weapon token active, you can flip it over and get some extra little benefit, uh, yeah. some extra ability, which are cool. Yeah, each statue has a different a different action you can do if you flip over their subsequent weapon. Like a spear, maybe you have to flip over the spear, and then you get to do their specific some action cool when thing. you place them in the mausoleum. Yeah. Yep, yep. And then besides those four warrior statues, you also have these like master abilities um, that you can unlock, uh, which master abilities are like six – like six special actions you can take, but you have to kind of put a token out there and pay for it. Yeah. Essentially there's like specialists or masters that I think, I think they're kind of like, I always thought of like, they're kind of like in your employee at that point, once you pay them and then you can start doing their actions. Yeah. Yeah. And then some of those actions are just like, get some clay or activate. One of them lets you activate all four of your weapons at once, which is really yeah, nice. That one's the best one. One of <laughs> the them, well, it's- well, but one of them lets you uh, repeat the action in the inner ring, that's which right, yeah. that can be kind of beefy. Like It can be, because that's, that's usually the best, biggest, beefiest actions are that inner ring one. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So, um, yeah, so anyway, you and when you, when you take one of these master um, ability actions. If you don't already have one of your little master tokens, which are these like little wooden people little or cardboard, yeah, like little- cardboard, not wood. Um, yeah. But yeah, but they, each time you put one out, they get more expensive. So first one you put out is a buck. It's one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Second one's two bucks all the way up to six bucks. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know if anybody ever does that, puts them all out. Cause Mike seems- does. Mike somehow always gets all really? six really quickly. I don't know. Mike's really good at this game. <laughs> whoa. Whoa. That is a whole nother level. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you have like th- those, those are different actions for these six type types of like kind of master workers that you can kind of partner with. Um, and then the last thing you could do, I think is, is to build specialist statues. Mm-hmm. So while you're out there in this mausoleum, placing all these different warrior statues and you're trying to group them together, keep them in groups because of end game scoring, any isolated ones are going to like come off the board and not score again. Yep. But as you're as you're kind of uh, doing that, you also have these four types of specialist statues. One of them's a kneeling archer that if you point it towards one of your statues, it breaks ties. Which yeah. there are a lot of ties. There's situations. a lot of ties. Yeah. There's like the horse that lets you e- extend your like area of influence, sort of with a statue. Yeah. So that statue is now in three columns or rows instead yes. of just one. Yeah. Yeah. There's that one, and then there's uh, there's one that's more for end game scoring. It does kind of an area majority scoring for everything surrounding it. Yeah, that's dominance the, presence. The footman or something like that. Footman. Yeah. Yep. yep. And then there's the musician, which will oh, score yeah. during the 
end of round scoring, and mm-hmm. they score for everything in their their row or column. Yeah, regardless, the owner scores the points. So, meaning, even if even if Nick builds a musician, if I place one of a statue that has my color ring on the base of it, I'm going to get a point for it. Also, yeah. so yeah, no one owns the specialist. I guess except for the horse, technically. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so those are like the kind of actions you're doing. You're doing a lot of like getting resources to kind of build these these different statues out on the board and trying to manipulate the statues so that you're winning the area control scoring. And at the end of each round, there's a scoring phase uh, where I was saying there are these two inspector like pawns that are pointed to one is pointed to a row on the mm-hmm. on the grid, the mausoleum grid. The other one's pointed to a column and everybody's who has statues in the row and column, you're going to do an area majority scoring for dominance mm-hmm. and presence. Yep. So if you have more then you have dominance. So you're going to get seven points. Yeah. And then anybody who just has, you know, at least one will get presence, which is three victory points. Yeah. And again, so if Nick and I both have a single statue of ours in a row, but I have a kneeling archer facing mine. I break the tie. So I get that uh, dominance score of seven VP. Nick yeah. would only get three. Sorry, Nick. Boo. <laughs> this game sucks. And then and then <laughs> each each round has a different end game scoring tile. Yeah, and, and a round the, scoring thing. Yeah. Yeah. And they come out randomly. So I think they're like maybe like 12 or so of them. Yeah, there's like there's there's more than there are rounds. So you'll have a different There'll be different ones every game, basically, yeah. Yeah, and so then you would score those, and some of those are like, hey, have a, have the most of a certain type of warrior. Have or the most money. Have the most clay. Have the most in this quadrant of the yes. modulium or something like that. Or yeah. this line, the center row yeah. or something, yeah. So they're kind of a variety of things, but it makes it such that you you have to kind of you don't want to miss out on those points. No, they. I always do, and Mike crushes me in this game because he does better in the end game. Yeah. There's certain things that I, Mike and I are like, there's certain things in this game I do way better than him and certain things he does way better than me, but he always does the end of round goals way better than me, and he, <laughs> he wins every time. Uh, yeah, and, and they stack. So the first, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. first round scoring tile might be like five points for dominance, yep. three points for – uh, presence. presence, but then whatever, later yeah. it's like something like twelve points for like dominance, twelve or fifteen or something. Yeah, yeah some, it's something a lot. Crazy, um, but you but, do know what they all are. Yes, so you can. They're plan. all face up, so you can plan for that. I just don't. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's hard. There's a lot, of, a lot of things to think there's, about. There's in not this that much game. time in yeah. the game. <laughs> yeah, there really isn't. But like, so you play five rounds and again, like a round would end just after everybody places a meeple, you know, you have a turn order. Oh, that was the other thing that one, one other action lets you change turn order. Right. Like there, right. you have to take a priority token. Otherwise turn order will not change. Mm-hmm. And turn order is important, especially in higher player count yeah. games. But yeah, you play five rounds and then after the normal fifth round scoring phase, there's a little bit of end game scoring that mm-hmm. happens. And, uh, Part of that is those uh, footmen we were talking about. Mm-hmm. They score for domination and presence, eight points or two points for presence. Yep. So if somebody builds one of those, you want to try to get in on those because yeah. th- those end game points score are everything around them. Yes, yes, yes. And then pretty much you're going to score every group 
of warriors. And that is the same type of warrior. Doesn't matter which player they belong to, but they are orthogonally connected. That mm-hmm. means there's a group. And there could be multiple groups throughout yeah. the whole mausoleum. But pretty much you to start that scoring, you remove every warrior statue that is not part of a group. And then you score all the groups for domination and presence again. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then whoever has the most points wins. Yeah. So, Nick, we've never played this game together. Not together, no. (laughs) Although I I watched you play it a little bit at Strategicon. I was like, oh, you're playing that. Yeah, yeah. That was was my first game at Strategicon. What did you think about the presentation in terms of, like, the look and feel of the game, the components, graphic design, and rulebook? I think for the most part, the presentation is good. It's a little beige. I would love a little bit of Carla. To be fair, it's a terracotta army. And so like, I guess it is kind of that kind of reddish beige. So I guess it does technically make sense. It doesn't look as bad as like Tiletum, which I think is one of the worst looking games on the planet, despite I really like that game. But I think it's one of the worst looking games on the planet. Um, but I think I think the look is fine because I think it does actually make sense for it. I would love a little more color. I feel like we could we could probably make it look a little nicer. Um, the components are great though. The little meeples are great. The statues are good. Oh, you're going to have very, a lot of like bendy spears, which is a problem with, you know, components like that. But I think for the most part, the components were really, really good. Um, the graphic design is pretty darn clear, which I think is really nice. And the rule book, I, I, I'm trying to think how the rule, I think the rule book was fine. I don't remember if it was particularly, I don't remember it being bad, which means it was probably fine. Yeah, I thought the um I thought the game board and the iconography are just like great. It's yeah. it's so clear and it makes it like intuitive to teach. Yeah. I'm like, here's the icon to get money, here's the icon to get clay, here's the icon yeah. to build stuff. You see it, you learn it once, and it's like ingrained in your head, you know? Mm-hmm. Also, again, that box that has the minis. Oh, so good. It, on all sides of the box, it gives you iconography for how each warrior activates. So yeah. no matter where you're sitting, you can see it. And again, the iconography is really good. So like once you learn it, you'll be like, okay, I I know that's what that means. You know, maybe some of the movement abilities you might need to like look up to be like, oh, what what was that thing? But to me, like after you play a game of it, you're like, you don't have yeah. any questions on that stuff. And I thought, yeah, I thought the rule book was pretty good. It's laid out well. I like that they kind of go over the concepts of like, hey, domination and presence. Here's what this is all about because it's a big, you know, concept in this game. One thing was that there, there's a quick reference on the back of the book. And mm-hmm. I felt like that wasn't helpful because, again, I thought the iconography was really clear. And like once you learn it, you don't need a reference for that. But I'm saying that as a gamer, you know, like if you're somebody who's not a gamer playing this game, that'll be really helpful for you. But what would have been helpful for me would have been to have on a reference or the back of the rule book. Here's what you do at the end of the round. Here's how scoring Mm. works at the end of the game, because I feel like Mm -hmm. I always want to turn to those pages and make sure I'm not missing anything. But they're like chunky paragraphs of text. Yes. And I'm like, I just want a quick reminder. Score these people. Score that. Score this. Yeah, yeah, so that was that was one thing I thought was kind of just like lacking a little bit, but overall I think everything is great. Like even the the main domination and scoring, um, domination and presence is is printed on the board. So you're like, okay, mm-hmm. when we score yeah. this, it's seven for domination, three points yeah. for presence. And so they did like a really good job in terms of yeah. like putting that stuff out. 
And that's something that board and dice tends to do very, very often with their games, particularly their big games, mostly their big T games, mm-hmm. um, is they tend to put a lot of the information on the board, particularly scoring information is usually yeah. on the board, which I actually yeah. really, really appreciate. Totally. Because it's quick, oh, yeah, that's right. That's how much you get points for inspectors. Great. Okay, now I remember. It's like I really like that about board and dice. I think they yes. do it really well. Yeah. And even I would say – so when you build a statue, one thing I didn't mention was when you pay the clay – one of the clays becomes a dry clay that gets placed in this little warehouse. And mm-hmm. there are four warehouses around the uh, action wheel circle. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the master guys will let you actually collect some of that dry From clay. Like two warehouses, yeah. Yeah, which is really cool because you can, it can let it, it can like, be come up. up. It can be a, yeah, <laughs> it can be a real big come up. But I feel like that was the hardest thing in the game for me to remember. It's like, oh yeah, I gotta pay a clay to one yes. of the warehouses. They the do have it forgot. printed on the, yeah, they have it printed on the board, which is nice. So I'm better at it now, but I feel like mm-hmm. that's just something that's kind of hard to remember. Yeah, we would forget all the time. We're like, oh crap, like two turns ago, I forgot to put I'm gonna put this yeah. down here because I just we forget all the time. Yeah. Yep, yep. That's just yeah. I don't know what could have been done differently to help people remember. I think it's just something you just gotta Mm-hmm. eventually remember. Yeah, just one of those things, right? <laughs> what did you think about the theme and did it feel thematic to you? I, I love the theme in general. Um, I think it's really cool. I, I like civilization themes in general, um, as long as they're, of course, done appropriately. Um, yeah. And this one is, I know they I know they were talking to, I believe, the Chinese embassy, trying to like get a cultural consultant about this. And stuff like that. I think it's really, really cool. Um, and I love the theme. I, I've actually, I've, I've always really loved... Um, this era of like Chinese history. I used to, there's like a couple documentaries that when we were kids that came on, like, I don't know, PBS, something like that about the terracotta army. And I was like obsessed with them. So, like, I actually really, <laughs> really cool. like this part of like Chinese history. So when I heard about this game. I was like, Oh, this is cool. Cause I've always really been fascinated oh, that's really cool. by the terracotta army in general. And so I was really excited. I think they did the theme. Well, it feels pretty thematically integrated in terms like you actually are building out these statues in the mausoleum the other part, like I like the I like the idea of like the masters who you, you can have help you out and they give you like bonuses and stuff like that. I think that's really, really cool. I mm-hmm. really like all the specialists. I think they change stuff up a lot. Oh yeah. Um and there were. I mean, that's the thing is like in the, the in the real terracotta army, there was like all sorts of different statues and like, like, like full horses, like to scale. I mean, it was just bonkers how yeah. much stuff is in these in these vaults, essentially. It's just absolutely incredible. So I think they did a pretty good job with the theme. I really like the theme, and I think they integrated it pretty darn well for what is ultimately a, just a big euro game you know yeah i i completely agree like i i like the theme i didn't know i did not know as much about like terracotta army mm-hmm. as you um just mentioned you did but I, that made me like it even more because i'm like yeah. oh this is like really really i love learning yeah i love learning stuff especially from board games um yeah. so the other thing i noticed is just like things make sense thematically it's like of course you need wet clay to build <laughs> right? A, a statue and then of course if you have wet clay it's not going to stay wet forever so mm-hmm. the fact that it dries at the end of the round and it almost becomes that thing of like feeding your people in kind like of. agricola where it's like oh i gotta manage my clay and um one thing i didn't mention yet or we didn't mention is that those masters those six different master abilities you can kind of put a token by to access they also give you end of round bonuses So three Mm, of them will give you a coin each round. So you make a little bit of money. The other three protect 
your clay, one of your clays from drying. So if yeah, I they have, have a, they have a spray bottle, they come by yeah. and spray your clays <laughs> as the enemy. Yeah. Drowned. So so it's like when you're picking those master abilities, you could also be thinking about like what kind of end around bonus do I want? Yeah. Do I want to kind of like keep my clay wet, or do I want to like make some money, or you know? It's yeah. just, uh, but I, I like that like thematic tie-in of like, hey, you gotta you gotta balance having wet clay, and there's an mm-hmm. action again. Another thing I didn't mention: there's an action that lets you wet all of your yeah, clay. Yeah, you can hydrate all your clay. Yeah. yeah. So it's not it's not like it's gone once right. it's dry. It's just you have to then spend an action to hydrate it again so you could use it. And yeah, and what that looks like is it's a a cardboard token. That is like kind of a reddish orange, like clay yep. color. And then on the other side, it's kind of gray and cracked. So you just like yeah. flip it over to represent that it's wet yeah, or great. dry. But yeah, so I, I really dig the theme and um, and how it was like kind of integrated into the mechanisms of what mm-hmm. you're doing. What did you think about different player counts? So I will say I've only played this at two. So I actually okay. don't have, I, I really like it at two. Um, I really like one thing like I'm very much I love multiplayer solitaire games I a lot of people are like I need interaction in a game I super don't I don't mind interaction <laughs> but like I love multiplayer solitaire games but this game has a lot of interaction because mm-hmm. in the mausoleum you can really influence the mausoleum a lot in terms of like where the inspectors are one of the um uh, one of the masters allows you to move the inspectors forward or back and so you can like keep it in a row that you're winning or push it off of a row that your opponent's winning so there is still a lot of interaction uh, particularly in the mausoleum and that's one thing that we were surprised about was just how much you can influence that mausoleum um and i think it's really really cool so i've only played it at two i really like it at two um it's also like we'll talk about playtime in a second but it's not too long at two which is really nice um mm-hmm. so that's all i can really say is i like it at two cool. i want to play it at three or four i think i'd probably like it most at three um but i do really really like it at two cool yeah so i mostly when i initially played it played it with four okay. and and it was like one of those things where like every time i play this game i like it more and more mm-hmm. but i think with four uh because there's some potential for AP and also you can't really plan your turn because there are three people going ahead of you. They could be yep. rotating wheels. Yeah. They're taking worker placement spots. So you you really have to kind of like wait until it's your turn to mm-hmm. see what your options are that are available to you. So I actually while I would like I'm not saying I would never play it at four players. Yeah. Four players was my least favorite. I would say next in line would be uh, two players. I really liked two players. I'm like, I think it works surprisingly well at two players because usually you don't think of like worker placements kind of working well with two players without some some extras in there to like yeah. make it work. But because this has all of that, that area influence and like you're mm-hmm. saying all that player interaction of what you're doing with building statues, it works really, really well, I think, at two yeah. players. Yeah. The other thing is it's different. It feels different at two players because not every action space around the circle is going to be taken Mm -hmm. with two players. Like I think uh, with two players, you play with five meeples each. Yes, you get more workers. Yeah. Yeah. But there are 12 different action spaces around the wheel. So there are always going to be at least two spaces completely open, which is interesting. Your turns move faster and it's, uh, it's a little more flexible, but still, Mm -hmm. but still very competitive, very competitive. And then three, I I think three is the sweet spot. Three is always the best player. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> it, it really, honestly, ninety percent of the time, it's best at three. Like, oh my goodness, you get more interaction, but it's not too long. It's not yes. too slow. I I maintain ninety nine percent of the time, three is the best. <laughs> three, and it's like with this game, it is my favorite player count. This three player game I played at Terracotta Army was just like it felt like three player chess. <laughs> we were neck and neck. I think it was two of us had played before and one player was brand new if I recall. But yeah, yeah, one player was brand new, but oh my goodness, it was just like so tense and fun. Yeah. It doesn't feel like there're like too long of time between your turns, like so it it does it like it moves okay. And yeah, I guess in terms of uh play time, sometimes this game, especially with 3 and 4, can feel a little long to me. I'll be jumping into that fourth round being like, this feels like this should be the last round. Right. But then I get through the fourth round and then the fifth round seems so quick. So it's kind of weird. You know, obviously I'm sure they play tested it this way because the grid is a certain size to give players enough time to like kind of fill it up to like, you know, kind of hit that that peak, that, that, that tipping point. So... I'm on the fence where sometimes I feel like eh, it's maybe a little too long. But yeah, with two players. It's quick. Yeah, it, it's pretty quick. I think even with a new player, an hour and 45, but could get faster, you know? Yeah, we're about an hour and a half. We did. We actually did a playthrough of this on our channel. Uh, and I think the playthrough is like an hour and 22 minutes. And that's with like an intro, outro, and like a four-minute overview. So now, granted, Mike and I also tend to play games very fast, generally. Yeah. So like it's it's one of the things that we we tend to play things very quickly. And so, um, yeah, I like I like how snappy it is. That's why a lot of times I prefer two players because I'm just like, oh, it just means the game's shorter, which in my opinion is yeah. good because that means we get to play more games. So I really liked it too, though. Yeah, and, and two, like the turns just move faster too because you can kind of – plan you have less people that are going to be like impacting things in between your turns so it just kind of like it works really well too there's there's less tension with like the like they're like say getting artisans is way less important in a two-player game because stuff doesn't get blocked mm-hmm. quite as much and so like I, there, like you said it's just different at two-player not bad i really like it at two-player but it's just it's definitely different where like player order doesn't matter quite as much getting artisans doesn't matter like quite as much because you're just not getting blocked out as much. But yeah, I think it's outstanding. That's really cool. I'm glad uh, you liked it at two also. Because I yeah. was like, this is this is cool. It's good. Like, this yeah. is a game I would break out with two players. Yeah, for sure. How did it feel to you complexity-wise? I thought it was good. Um, it's it's not of like the board and die, like the big T games. And I know some people don't consider this a T game because it's not by uh, Danielle Tashini. Yeah. I consider basically any board and dice game starts a T, <laughs> T, a T game. game in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, it's a T game. It's a big Euro game starts a T. It's a T game. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and so of like the T games, or we'll just say big board and dice games, because you also throw like Origins in there and stuff. Uh, it's actually, I think, one of the simpler games, at least rules-wise. Um, part of that is the graphic design is very, very good. So it's just very intuitive. You're like, oh, I need to build statues. I need to build clay statues. I should probably have some clay. Oh, I want to get a master. They probably required me to get money. So like a lot of stuff is very intuitive. And the graphic design is very good. And it's like what you're doing is not complicated. The chess match of like trying to manipulate the mausoleum and trying to get to stuff first. And like, should I rotate this? Is that going to mess up my further prance? All that stuff can get complicated. But the rules itself are actually some of the simplest rules of all of like board and dice of their bigger games. And then the strategy can get real, real deep. Um, but the complexity of the rules is for that I actually thought was pretty 
pretty low for a board and dice game. And again, that's for a board and dice game. But I, I loved it. I liked how I think introductory friendly it was. Like I feel like you could just teach someone who obviously knows games and stuff like that. And they can just jump right in and they can compete and stuff like that. Where some other like other big T games, I'm like, if it's your first game, you're going to get crushed. Right. You know, right. you're going to get destroyed in a game of Takenu if it's your first game, you know, for the most part. But it's like this one, I feel like you can kind of jump in and, and be competitive right off the bat, which I like. What about you? I completely agree. I felt like it was like a straight up medium. The actions are very clear and easy to grasp. The hair of complexity, it, it comes from like just trying to play well. And mm-hmm. when I say trying to play well, I guess like stay competitive with other players because yeah. even the fact that like if you don't know what you're doing, you can just get clay, build warriors, get clay, build warriors because yep. you're getting points every time you do that. But if you want to take it to the next level and stay competitive with other players, that's where it gets challenging strategically how to play it. But like I love the fact that this is just kind of like a the worker placement aspect of it is very simple. But it's such like a meaty game that's happening with placing the statues within the mausoleum. So yeah, I think that anybody could kind of jump into this, even if you're not used to playing more modern board games, uh, because Mm -hmm. it's not that hard to understand the actions. But like, again, strategically, it's, it's a bit deeper, which I find very interesting. Yeah, that's great. Did you find that there were like any games I was trying to like think about like, is this you know, like some some people wonder, like, is this game like something else? Yeah. And I feel like I got some Tekenu vibes and it could be just a board and dice right. bias. Just like a hair, I think, because of that one section of Tekenu. Yeah. That yeah, has the, the, what, the grid. I, for, I forget yeah, what, it's sure what it's called. But yeah, that far. Yeah. I much prefer Terracotta Army where you don't have all these mini games going on. You know, yeah. you have like, hey, here's some like. Interesting decisions from worker placement, but what is happening in this mausoleum is just mm-hmm. like there's so much player interaction. It changes every game. And uh, yeah. yeah, so I just I don't I couldn't think of anything that it's exactly similar to. Not really, because, again, like the the action wheel, like there are certain ones that have like action wheels, although they're not really this this similar. But, yeah, you have I, I really enjoy the worker placement because I think it's interesting. It's like Zolkin has a very obviously a very unique worker placement thing where things are turning and stuff. Praga has one uh, Praga could put Regni where like you have the mm-hmm. action wheels turning. But it's not like this where it's multi-tiered because you really can like combo some really cool stuff. If you have the master that um, doubles whatever the inner ring is and it's like oh, if yeah. the inner ring spot, maybe you pay two bucks to rotate it so it's on the four clay spot and then you get the thing to double so boom you came up on eight clay that's huge and so you can do some really cool combos which i really like but like that part feels very different even the mausoleum itself feels very different because it's so um malleable you can manipulate it so much in terms of like where you put stuff and like like i can't remember which one it is but like one of the um one of the the um statues we put in there when you put it in there you then can move one of your other statues essentially in a straight line to somewhere else and so you're like (laughs) oh like we're tied in this group but right before i'm gonna put in this one statue and then i'm gonna move this spearman into this group and then now i have dominance over you in there and so it's like you can just move it around so much especially because like the archers 
when you place the archers, how they work is you want to put them far away from everything because they're like a ranged soldier, right? And you'll get one point per empty space between them and the next statue, no matter what statue it is. But then they're usually kind of on their own out there. Right. So you might put in a spearman. I think is the one or maybe it's an officer i think maybe it's the officer you put in the one that allows you to move something so like okay later i'll put this officer into this group and then i'm gonna move this archer over here into this archer group and so you can just do so much with that yes i don't know i it doesn't really feel like anything else honestly which is really cool yeah i i think that's super cool too but it definitely gives me that feeling of something like like i love pax Pamir because everybody can manipulate what's going on in the board right oh I can change how this is going to score. If you think about like who might like this kind of game, mm-hmm. if you enjoy games with player interaction that have kind of a mix of being strategic and tactical, mm-hmm. yes, you can do some like long-term planning of like, hey, yeah. I see that that final round scoring tile is looking at this, so I'm going to start building towards that. But you also are just constantly on your toes and you're you're engaged in the game because it's like, I want to know what you're doing. Oh, wait, what yeah. you're building right now? Oh, now I might adapt and respond to that. Yeah. I'm going to build one of those or I'm not going to build one of those based on what you're doing. So it's like very much a game where it's not multiplayer solitaire. You no. are going to be watching the board. You're going to be watching what other players are doing. And, you know, if you like games that have area majority scoring, the way it's mm-hmm. done in this game is kind of. Yeah, it's, it's not like fighty. It's just kind of. Yeah, sliding in real quick to get a dominance or putting down a kneeling archer to break a tie or something like that. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely if you don't like, if you don't, your plans can get kind of spoiled. It doesn't feel like mean. It's not like it's like take that. It's just kind of, again, it's just things are changing. There's a lot of, again, manipulation. And so if you don't like that, don't, it's probably not for you. But other than right. that, like, I, I don't like mean games at all and so but to me i didn't mind this one at all so to me it doesn't feel like mean it's just just how the game is but if you really hate that kind of stuff then that's probably not for you yeah it's like everybody has the option to like there's a lot of flexibility you have with being able to rotate Mm -hmm. the wheel around and the fact that there are you know two different wheels that move in different directions yeah you can kind of like set yourself up to do you know, a lot of different things. But yeah, sometimes you cannot depend on that those inspector pawns are going to stay in their position. So I'm always thinking about, hmm, if I build a statue here, somebody else might move this over there. And I'm just trying to plan for it. I'm trying to plan. What am I going to do in that, you know, in that scenario? What did you think in terms of the replay value? We've played it a decent amount of times. And like, I've, it hasn't felt stale at all yet. Uh, I don't, yeah, I think it's pretty replayable because, again, like every round, the wheel is going to be in a different position. The mausoleum is going to work differently depending on especially like what goals are out there. That can mm-hmm. really change up the game because it can really influence where you're putting statues, where you want to put statues, where you move statues. So to me, it feels pretty replayable. The things that, that are static is like there's no other abilities for like the statues. The masters only do one thing. Right. The specials only do one thing. So like that part is static. But. To me, all of those are kind of like complementary to the main two mechanics, which I would say is the action wheel and then how the mausoleum works. And those are kind of always changing. So like the the static nature of everything else doesn't really bother me. Like, I mean, it's one of the things if Board Dice wanted an expansion, I would love like something else that the masters do. That could be kind of cool just to change up a little bit. But 
for the most part, I think it feels pretty darn replayable, um, even without an expansion. I think you can probably play it for a good long while. I think what really does it is the scoring tiles. Yeah. The fact that you have like 12 or 15 or 10 or I don't know how many different scoring tiles and you're randomly picking five of them to use and the order in which those five, you know, being from round to one to round five really changes up how you're going to play the game. You cannot go into the game and say, every game I'm going to build archers and this, you yeah. know, you, you can't mm-hmm. you can't do that. Like you have to kind of play to these things or you're going to yeah. miss out. And then it's like, how much do you want to play? Like, how early am I going to start planning for that fifth round scoring tile? How much am I going to focus on this current round? Maybe yeah. I'm at, maybe I'm out of it, but I just do something just to get at least the uh, the presence points. Yeah. And it's like, I think they change up the game so much. And then also just like having four different types of warriors and mm-hmm. four specialists that change up how they all interact with each other. So I think yeah. it's, I, I feel like every game I've played, which I think I've played about five, five or so times now. Yeah, probably the same for here. But I feel like every game feels different. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the scoring tiles, not only just like what ones are there, but like the order they're in can really change stuff because if it's like putting something in a quadrant and that's the first one, it's like, you got to try and do that really, really quick because it's so it's like, what order they, you could play the same tiles and just mix up the order and it would feel different because like, you're like, Oh wait, now I have to do this now instead of now the money one is the last one. So I need to try and like, make sure I'm saving (laughs) cash throughout the game. And so it's like, it really changed it even with the same ones. And that to me makes so much of a difference for such a simple part of the game which is just end round end of end of round scoring you know absolutely so what did you like most about the game and like what do you think could have been improved or did you dislike the fair part of the game is probably the action wheel i love interesting worker placement situations i really like that i love that it's constantly changing and sometimes you're just like oh the way these ones lined up oh this is a super good combo of these three and so you're like i need to make sure I go first so I can try to get there. Qu- so I really, really love that. I love any game where you can combo stuff. And this one has some cool comboing uh, situations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The thing I, I like the least, I guess, is like, again, like I would have loved a little bit more color in, in like the game. I think it could look slightly better, but like it's a pretty nitpicky thing for the most part. I don't really know what I would change. I think not that it's like the best game that's ever been made i do really really enjoy it but it's like i think all the mechanisms really really work with the theme i don't really know how you can change them to make it better so like to me honestly i don't think i would change much i think it's doing exactly what it's trying to do mm-hmm. and i think it executes it really well what about you so like every time i play terracotta army i find myself liking it more and more which yeah. which is which is cool It's great, right? Yeah, I love that the worker placement is so straightforward. But then you have all these awesome decisions, like, you know, with the wheel, the way the action wheel works, and also with the way you're building your warrior statues and building these specialist statues. Those choices you have are really interesting. Like, I like the master token abilities and like how you can kind of like one game, like be like, oh, I'm going to focus on these two different mm-hmm. master abilities and try to like help them boost my strategy a bit. And next game, maybe yeah. I try to do a different one. So it's really cool. Like how they play into the game. I love that. It's a game where you have to pay attention to what your, what your opponents are doing. You have to be invested in, if you want, again, if you want to be successful and competitive, you really have to be invested in what other people are doing, which to me, I find that engaging and I like that mm-hmm. in games, but I guess the one 
kind of negative thing I'll say is that I feel like, or warning to people out there is that I feel like it can be very AP inducing. And I think, you know, since you got, since you've only played at two players, you haven't felt that yet really because it's usually at at four players Mm -hmm. that it kind of stands out most but there's I mean there are a lot of cool decisions but you could be sitting there a while just deciding like which action do I want to take and then you could be like huh well if I rotate the inner wheel this you know one space then which actions can I take Mm -hmm. up but if I rotate the other wheel the other way then what actions can I take? Then when you like finally decide on which actions and like, let's say you're building a statue, which statue statue? do I want to build? You know, where do I put it? And then where do I put it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like every little thing is kind of thinky. And like the fact that in a four player game, like you can't really plan your turn while you're waiting. So that can kind of bog things down a little bit. Mm hmm. So again, that's that's why I would say probably like four players is like my least favorite player yeah, count. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, here's here's an easy problem solve there. Just yeah. don't think about your turns that hard. I easy. love it. I love it. That's yeah. what we do. Just like, oh, I'm going to do this. Cool. Decided to do that. Just yeah. go for it. We yeah. call that playing no dome. Just don't think about anything. No dome. All no dome all day. I'm thinking about carrying sand timers with me and yeah. just like <laughs> kind of enforcing, you know, especially if it's like one person who's kind of like slowing yeah, it down the right. whole time. So I'm actually, I'm thinking about integrating sand timers into my game nights. <laughs> yeah, they're affecting everyone else's play. I'm yeah. sorry. Like you are, you know, we're, this is a, board games are a team sport, whether or not it's a competitive game or cooperative game. We're all in this together. And Amen. it's like if some, one person is messing up for a lot of people because they're taking 20 minutes on their turn. Yeah, I, I think it's fair. I do want to mention one thing that I think board and dice did incredibly well in this is all the specialists, their bases on the specialists tell <gasps> you what they do. Amazing. And so the horse obviously is a very long horse. That one's pretty obvious. But the kneeling archer is a square base that actually flares out at the end. And so it shows like, hey, this kneeling archer is connected to this piece. The musician, which will score in rows or columns, their base is like a little cross. And that's to remind you, this will score in row and columns. The footman, which score for the eight tiles around them, is like an eight-pointed star, which again reminds you that this this will score for everything everything around around it. it. It's such a subtle little thing that they did not need to do, but I think is so freaky cool that they decided like oh let's make them all bases to yeah. make it clear how these ones score because they're all in the mausoleum all the specials have the same color and it might be hard to tell what's what and so you can just look at their base and like oh this is the one where i want to be around i thought that was absolutely brilliant and something they didn't need to do but they did and i think it makes a huge difference i totally agree and thank you for bringing that up because yeah that's one of those so just cool. like really nice touches Ugh. that's just Helpful for making things smooth. So when you teach somebody this is how it works and you say, look at the base, they won't forget. They'll be like, oh, that's how that thing scores. Yeah, Yeah, that that was a really cool touch. That was a really cool touch. What was the most memorable moment in one of your games? I don't don't know if I have like a specific moment. My thing is, is like I have – I'm really good, at least when I'm playing Mike, I'm really good at manipulating the inspectors to do what I want them to do. (laughs) And it drives Mike insane because every (laughs) single round, both inspectors score for me and like usually not for him. I'm really, (laughs) I've almost every single time, I'm like, cool, I win this one. Oh, cool, I win this one too. And like, again, he usually beats me anyway. But I just, that's, I guess, the memorable moment is that I tend to win the inspectors every single time. (laughs) And Mike never does and drives him crazy. (laughs) 
And that's cool because like that's another thing that makes me think about when I'm doing a worker placement spot. Like now that I've played it uh, a handful of times, now I'm thinking about where can I block so that even if yeah. somebody rotates something, they can't get to that yeah. to do that thing. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's cool. So in my three player game, uh, like I said, we were we were kind of like neck and neck the entire game. It felt like three player chess, and then I had that um, I had that master ability that let me re- do an action two times. And I, I must have done a double statue build at like a two two cost multiple times. And we just had this game that was just so really like neck and neck the entire time. But meanwhile, Candace was quietly thinking about all sorts of endgame scoring groups, you know, the the uh the footmen and, and mm-hmm. also just like the last objective. And I was kind of like doing all this stuff. You know, some was um, intentionally and some was probably not intentionally, but I ended up, you know, at the end of the game, just like swooping ahead and winning the game. Wow. And it was. Let's go. It, yeah, exactly. It was like so such a cool feeling, especially in a game where it's like, this can be anybody's game up. Oh, this person's three points ahead. This person, yep. you know, like we had that the whole game. And then I just kind of like at the end when oh, we did end awesome. game scoring, like just crushed them. let's go that's awesome Uh, anyway nick it's been awesome to talk to you i'm glad you enjoyed terracotta army as much as i have too and yeah yeah it's so good this was fun we're gonna have to do it again sometime yeah anytime and uh in the meantime i'll i'll find some time maybe over the holidays to teach uh you and mike roads and boats you should come over yeah come over to the studio we'll play I'd, i'd love it yeah cool well thanks again no problem You've been listening to the Board Game Geek Podcast, produced and edited by Candace Harris. Special thanks to Matt Fonda for editing and mixing our music. Be sure to visit us on the web at BoardGameGeek.com. You can also find us on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitch under Board Game Geek. You can reach us by email at podcast at BoardGameGeek.com. Thanks for listening, and happy gaming!